Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today as we continue our series out of the book of John. Uh, last week we were sharing with you how to kind of look at types and shadows. I, I believe probably uh, understanding that is one of the most important principles that you can learn because it literally teaches you the language of the Spirit. I, I recently had a pastor who read several of my books and he said, Brother, I'm just absolutely overwhelmed that you have, he said to me that you have literally created a language for how to say these things. And the truth of it is, is that I didn't create the language, God did. I just learned to speak the language that God has always been speaking through the Scriptures. In other words, He uses powerful pictures and types and shadows to show you something concerning redemption, so that no matter where you go in the Scripture, for instance, the Old Testament is Jesus concealed, and the New Covenant is Jesus revealed. And when you walk through the Scriptures, you will see snapshots of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ that God was hinting at all towards, uh, all through the Scriptures. And someone asked me one time, how is it that you get the kind of revelation that you get? And my answer to that is, I simply know what I'm looking for. I'm looking for Him, because He's the key. He's the key of the kingdom, He's the key of knowledge. And the reality of it is, is he said himself that in the volume of the book, he said to, 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 to those standing there listening to him, he said, uh, you know, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. In the volume of the book it is written about him. And I could go back and just show you types and shadows throughout all the Scripture, whether it would be Joseph as the great Redeemer who goes before his people and uh, suffers the prison, suffers the rejection of his brothers, suffers in the house of Potiphar, but ultimately is raised to rule Egypt and to sustain Egypt. I could talk about uh, a great deliverer like Moses who bring you out of Egypt to but we're going to begin to, you know, like I think I've already showed you how that the pictures of the Passover are pictures of the redemptive work of Christ. And, and we may uh, see some of that again today, but I don't want to take a long time to just unpack that again, because I want to get into this second chapter of the book of St. John. And, uh, and I want to contrast it again, because John chapter 1 says, Moses gave you the law but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so the book of John is written so that you would know that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life through His name. And so what he does throughout the book of John is he really begins to show the contrast constantly uh, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And uh, we'll see that in, in, as we begin to unpack this. Let me just say, if you have missed any of the programs, they're a great thing to do would be to go back and watch our YouTube. Our YouTube channel has everything we have aired to date archived there, and you can watch them on demand at your leisure. We also have a podcast with the audio portions of this, so that you can listen to it on your way uh, to work in your commute, or while you're working out in the gym, or whatever, when you're riding the lawnmower, and you're mowing the lawn, and you can just put your headphones on, you can listen to the audio portions 
If you uh, have an Android device, you can get an RSS feed and listen to it. So that's, it's archived so you can go back and review the things we've said. The easiest way to do that is simply to go to my website at lenhouse.com and there's a direct link in the upper right hand corner to all of that information. And so uh, that's available to you at no charge. Our partners have made us available to be able to put that out there. Uh, but I want to come back in here again and talk to you the contrast. I said all that to bring you to show you that everything that Jesus does is on purpose. In other words, he's not accidentally doing anything. Uh, he, he, everything he's doing is showing something greater. I might just take a minute yet to unpack this. I, I, I recently did a series on. Uh, I recently did a series on. Um, uh, the miracles, actually the Sabbath, actually this book called Unforced Rhythms of Grace, which you can get by going to my website and, and ordering it, has the miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath day. But the interesting thing is, if you look in the book of Leviticus, every, every, in the book of Leviticus he says that if you have a flat nose you're disqualified. If you have a hunched back you're disqualified from eating the bread of your God. If you, if you have a hunched back you're disqualified. If you have a running sore you're disqualified. If you have a club foot, if you have a blinded eye, you are disqualified. And under the old covenant in Leviticus you were disqualified from eating the bread of your God, but in the new covenant Jesus handpicks every one of those miracles and shows you that under the old covenant you were disqualified, but that's what Jesus heals in the new covenant. He heals the woman with the crooked back, the hunchback. He heals Bartimaeus with the blinded eyes. He heals the man with the withered hand. He heals the leopard. He, in other words, everything that was disqualified under the Old Covenant, He's trying to show you that under the New Covenant He didn't come to destroy, He came to seek and to save that which is lost. When you start seeing these wonderful, beautiful pictures, the Word of God becomes a multifaceted volume of a book and you start saying, my, 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 the treasures that are hidden in this book. Now today I want to get into the second chapter of John, because it starts out by saying, and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and His disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And his mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. I would just pause for a moment and say to you that the key always to the miraculous is whatever he says to you, do it. That's the key, is listening to the Spirit of God and obeying Him, because whatever He says to you, do it, was the key to the miraculous. And there was set there six water pots of stone. I want you to notice there's six of them, they're made from stone, and they're after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And He saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. 
And he saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Now let me just stop and tell you, this is the first miracle that Jesus does. I wonder, as he's probably, I think he's around 30 years of age, I guess at this point, 30 to 33, I just uh, forget right off the top of my head, but this is the beginning of his miracles. I wonder how many events he had been to, or people that he'd been around, that uh, he would always say, you know, uh, my time has not yet come. In other words, he didn't do any miracles yet. But this is going to be the very first miracle that Jesus does. So it may very well be a precedent-setting miracle. Now the first thing that I begin to realize is when he says to her, a woman, or to his mother, my hour is not yet come. I think what he's doing is he's saying to his mother, this is not my wedding, but I can use this as a picture to show you what mine is going to look like. And so this first one is that Jesus is showing up at a marriage. And I think when you begin to see uh, what's happening here is that there's a new wedding that is about to approach. And later on, John the Baptist will say concerning Jesus, I have introduced you to, to the bridegroom. So Jesus has come on the scene now to literally show you a picture of what his wedding is going to look like. In other words, you thought he was married to natural Israel, but he's about to get married to a bride that is comprised of both Jew and Gentile, and we will kind of see this unfold as we begin to journey through this book of John. But what I want you to see is that he's talking about a different wedding here. Now, I, I, I think what I'll do is I'll jump out of this for a moment, and uh, we'll probably end up talking pretty much about this, the wedding, in this particular one. But I want us to go, I want you to go, if you have your Bible or your device in front of you, to Romans the seventh chapter. It says, Romans the seventh chapter says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the, hus for the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So that if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Verse 4 is the key to this, and this is very powerful. This, this, this verse of Scripture has been used to browbeat a lot of people who've been divorced or remarried. But the verse 4 is the key again, because he said, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead, watch this, to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him 
who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. Now this to me is one powerful piece of Scripture. Because he says, I want to speak to them that know the law. I'm talking to you folks who know the law of Moses. How the law has dominion over you as long as the first husband is alive. Because it says the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as her first husband is still alive. Now if her husband's dead, she's free to be married to another even, uh, and she's free to be married to another, or if she is married to another and her first husband is not dead, then she shall be called an adulteress. But she's bound by the law to her husband as long as that rascal's still alive. Now what I want you to see is the context of this. Now I've heard some teach that the law was the first husband. The law is not the first husband. The law is the covenant that keeps you bound to the first husband. Because the old covenant was given to the old man to modify his behavior. The new covenant is the, given to the new man. And if you read the context of this, Romans chapter 6 is the prelude to this chapter. He says, Reckon then yourselves to be dead, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ. Romans 6 talks about knowing that your old man has been crucified. Reckon yourselves therefore to be dead to sin and alive to God. What happened in the fall of Adam is he became alive to sin and dead to God, but what happens in your new birth is you become dead to sin and alive to God. It's a complete reverse. But Romans 6 tells you that the first man was the Adam man or the Adamic nature that you were married to. But what I want you to see is that Jesus must know how this, that this first husband is not alive. The, the Scripture tells us how the first husband died. We were crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, knowing this, that our old man was crucified. In other words, Adam is dead. I am not dying daily. When Paul talks about I die daily, that he is not talking about constantly trying to kill the Adamic nature, he's talking about when he faced death daily, physical death in the arenas when he fought beast at Ephesus and some of those things. What there is a process of doing is reckoning, that's an accounting term, that you are dead and that your life is hid with Christ in God. You cannot be dead and be dying. You have to either be dead or you're alive. And then he died, he died once to sin. To reckon yourselves, then go back and read Romans 6. And let me say this as, as a nail in that proverbial coffin. If the second husband in Romans chapter 7 is him who was raised from the dead, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out we're talking about Jesus here. So the second husband is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead, who was the method of getting rid of who we were in Adam, so that we could be free to be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, so that we could bring forth fruit 
unto God. Now let me say again that the first husband has to be dead. If he's not, and we're married to another, the Scripture says if your first husband is not dead, Romans 7, and you're married to another, you're called an adulteress. That would mean then if we are married to Jesus and Adam is not dead, that makes both us and Jesus and an adulterer. Jesus must know something that you don't know, and that is your old man is dead and you're free to enter into a covenant relationship with a new man. And as a covenant relationship, the new covenant is your marriage certificate. And that happened. That, see, we keep on waiting to some glad morning when this life is over, and or we think that somewhere in our distant future there's going to come a marriage supper of the Lamb. When I declare to you, you're already married to Him, and if you are not married to Him, it is illegal to use His name. Number two, it is illegal to be intimate with Him. Because no wed, no bed, no covenant, no loving it. The new covenant is your marriage certificate, which makes it legal to use your name because he is your husband and you have the master's card, if you will. Don't leave home without it. That's how, why we can freely use anything you ask in my name, I will do for you. And that's the shift and transition that I believe he's beginning to picture here at this wedding of Cana. Now let me come back again and tell you that I believe as we realize that, that through the new covenant our union with Him is there, that He uses another scripture. And here's why we think sometimes, I think, that our, uh, our, that our marriage is somewhere in our future is because we read this, we, we, we misquote this scripture constantly. Let me see if I can find it real quick here. Here it is in Ephesians 5. We, 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 if you, probably everyone listening to my voice has quoted this, heard this scripture misquoted. People will stand in the pulpit and say, Jesus is coming back for a church not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. I'm going to tell you that the scripture does not say that. It's a misquote. Here's what it does say. Verse 25, Ephesians verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that but it should be holy and without blemish. Now let me tell you, it didn't say He's coming back for a church. He said that he, he said, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Let me tell you, that's not something he's going to do. That's what he did at the cross. As he gave himself for you to purge you and to wash you and to cleanse you with his own blood. Hallelujah. And that he might present you to himself not what somebody else thinks about you, or what the world thinks, or what somebody's opinion is of you, but when He washed you by His blood. I feel the Holy Spirit when I say this. 
He presented you at that moment to himself as a chaste virgin, not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. I believe that we're already married to him. I believe that occurred at the cross. And you've, if you've watched my program any length of time, but because I'm in this setting, I'm going to really unpack this. You say, when did we get married? We got married when he was, we got a spouse. Let me put it this way. We got a spouse on the cross. I believe we consummated that relationship at the full, complete destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. And I'll show you exactly why I mean that. But John, the, John said that, I, he, that he was the friend of the bridegroom that introduced the bride uh, to the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. But on Calvary's cross, Jesus is hung between the heavens and the earth. And everything he does in his redemptive work, he does it in a garden. Now, you've heard me say this, but it's worth repeating. Adam has a garden, and he turns it into a graveyard, and Jesus will take a graveyard and turn it into a garden. Adam will have access to a tree of life, and he will choose a tree of death, and Jesus will choose a tree of death and turn it into a tree of life. Adam will receive a curse that says, you're cursed and that the, you're going to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. But Jesus will come on the scene in a garden called Gethsemane, and he will pray. He will pray until he sweats, and he will sweat until he bleeds. And if one drop of blood from the divine brow ever cut, touches a cursed earth, it will put the curse in reverse that said you must earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. You no longer have to earn God's favor or the bread, the true bread that came down from heaven. I'm not talking about you don't need to make a living, but I'm talking about spiritual things again. You don't have to earn God's grace. You don't have to earn God's favor. It's the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. But He puts the curse in reverse when He bleeds and sweats. He's on a cross. He's hanging, suspended between the heavens and the earth. There's a woman below him that many say was a, a, a prostitute. But one drop of blood is about to spill from Calvary's cross, and much like Eden's misty garden, when God took the first Adam and opened his side and brought out of his side a rib so that he might make a woman to bring her to Adam, and he brought out of him bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, on Calvary's tree, a Roman soldier took a spear and opened the side of the King of Glory and opened the side of the last Adam. And when he opened his side, blood and water spilled out from the cross, out of the side of Jesus. And I submit to you that Ephesians 5 is what that's talking about, is that blood and water spilled on a bride at the foot of that cross. And he washed you. He purged you. He presented you to Himself, not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. He don't care what the world says about that. You're His bride. He's in love with you, and the earth does not belong to the devil and his crowd. It belongs to Mr. and Mrs. Jesus Christ, who have the right to reign and rule it. And I believe when you get on over into the book of Revelation, and if you want to go and really study that book, we have a whole playlist on YouTube on the book of Revelation, but immediately following the fall of Babylon, which is the harlot, 
And the moment she's destroyed, which I believe that a harlot was a picture of apostate Israel. It was what the Bible pointed to as the Babylon. It's the spiritual Babylon. Uh, the woman who had committed whoredoms with all the nations of the earth and the Romans were about to bring her down. And at the end of the destruction of that great city, and we could take a lot of time to understand why I believe that, but go back and listen to my playlist if you want to on Revelation. But the moment that that city, that great city is destroyed, he opens the next chapter by saying, Hallelujah, now has come salvation and the kingdom of our God. And the Lamb's wife has made herself ready and washed her. In other words, this one has been removed and a new bride has now come on the scene. He's about to consummate the relationship. And Revelation chapter 21 opens and says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now John saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And a voice out of the heavens say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. I love that because Revelation 21 is a picture of not a physical building somewhere in the Middle East. We're going to go through these patterns. And we're going to show you in John how he starts with a new wedding. At the end of John 2, he tells them the temple you're looking at is not a natural building. It's a spiritual house. Then he's going to tell Nicodemus, you think the natural birth is it, but it's not the natural birth. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, you must be born again. And then he's going to come to a woman at a well and show you that he's going to include Gentiles in this new bride. It's both Jew and Gentile. But the tabernacle of God uses a couple icons in Revelation 21. He says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The Message Bible says, Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's made His home in men. That was God's dream. So you're the temple of God. You're the tabernacle of God. And the bride that he's married to, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven out of God as a bride adorned for her husband. The new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. And Hebrews 12 says, for you have come to Mount Zion, and you've already come to the city of the living God. You've come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which is written in heaven. Uh, Revelation 3 says, To him that overcomes, I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem is not a place. It is a people. It is the community of faith. It is the bride, the Lamb's wife. It is the capital city where the King now lives. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's taken up residence within you, and out of that city there is a river that flows. That the river that flows creates a river. The river creates fruit, the leaves of which will heal the nations. The purpose for the bride of Christ and His marriage is to show you that God is about to make all things new. And that's how he ends in the book of Revelation by saying, Behold, I make all things new. You're not going to get married to him. You're already married. You're the bride. That's what the wedding of Cain is, is about to show. We're about to run out of time. Do not miss next week. 
But if you'd like to help us to stay on the air and continue to teach this kind of a message, we really do need your help. It takes your partnership. A lot of people have watched a long time without sowing back into what they're feeding from. We'd like to ask you to do that if you've been fed from this. And if you'd like to, just call the number on the screen. You could send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen. Or you can go to the website and uh, you can give via credit card or PayPal. Or you can use the text to give number that will come up on the screen. God bless you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.